Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. This is Yowie Central. Welcome to the show. You're listening to 94.9 Main FM and you're with Sarah Vignal. This is the community radio show where we bring you the latest on Yowie Research in Australia and we delve into the fascinating realm of Bigfoot, Sasquatch and cryptozoology from here and around the world. We go into all sorts of mysterious, weird stuff, paranormal encounters and UFO sightings, you name it. This week, join me in welcoming back the very talented wildlife photographer and tracker, Bredo. Bredo is also a member of the South Coast Yowie Research Association based in the Jarvis Bay area in New South Wales. Bredo is going to share some tips, insights and expertise in the field of tracking something, anything, in the bush. Here's Bredo. Bredo, welcome back to Yowie Central. G'day, Sarah. How are you? I'm nice great. To be back. Yeah, great to have you back. Thank um, you. I really wanted to get some of your expert opinion on on some of the tracking 
skills mm. that you have because you're a wildlife photographer, you're a Yowie tracker, you're you're very experienced in that field, and I yeah. am <laughs> I'm, I'm a rank amateur in field research. <laughs> so and I you know I potter around and I go out and look with my dogs, but there's not really it's not really a serious field research mm. thing. But I thought I would love to know more about how to how to track our hairy friends. Yeah. And yep. uh, I'm sure all the audience, the Yowie Central listeners, would love to as well. Tracking your hairy friends, it's, that's sort of um, – it's, it's best if you start tracking something a little smaller. <laughs> <laughs> Is that – that's advanced, advanced tracking skills. <laughs> yeah. We need yeah, to yeah, start with like, tracking 101 for dummies. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, when you start hunting, you don't go straight after lions. You've got to work your way up from rabbits and then work your way up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, the Dooligar Yowies, they um they do their best to hide their tracks, and and they've been doing that that mindset for uh, well the best part of a hundred thousand years or more, probably more. They've been they were here when the when the Aboriginals got here. So so um they when they you know after a few millennia of being hunted by man, they very soon learned to hide their tracks, and that's one one of the reasons why you don't see them a lot. Um, is because they make a concerted effort to hide their tracks. Um, and and I, I know they do this, um, you know. And uh, so so when you, when it comes to tracking, um, the, the everyone's got their patch. So, you know, you've got your patch there and that, that all that beautiful, nice country to the south and north of you. I've got my, my range. And I think the best way to start when you're um, heading out is – to familiarise yourself with with a certain area within your range, and what is in that area, you know, um, I started. The way I learnt tracking is just by being a, a hunter. My dad used to take me out with, and my brother when we were really young, um, probably from about the age of uh, seven or eight, I guess. Dad was a well, he was in the Air Force, but he was seconded to the British SAS during the Malayan campaign. So he became a um, uh, sort of like a Green Beret guy, you know, SAS com- um, commando. And he was uh, really, really good at tracking, really observant uh, because he had to be to, to stay alive. And his mates as well that used to come shooting with us, they were they were all bushies and, and they'd all been in um, the service before from Vietnam and the Malayan campaign mostly. And so I, I just learned from those guys. And it's it's really once you familiarise yourself with your territory and what's in it, anything that's out of the norm tends to stick out after a while. You're so familiar with your living room or your bedroom, right? And when you come home, you can see if someone's been there, there's something out of place. Yeah, absolutely, right? yeah. It's, it's, the, it's kind of that sort of mentality. If you go bush a lot and you uh, really really familiarize yourself with your with your patch then something like a piece of bark being torn off a tree and that bark is really wet red and wet underneath the color is different that sticks out that splash of color where everything yesterday was just a dull green and gray especially early in the morning is the best time to track because the sun is low and it cuts across the ground so so the impressions in the soil and the in the ground jump out more when there's a shadow across them um the hardest part to 
time to track is midday because the sun's coming straight down onto everything. And or you can use a torch, I guess, if it's really dark. Just lay a torch across the ground like that when it's darker. But but where there's a shadow, tracks will jump out more. And um, so wildlife generally more active, from what I understand, wildlife is generally more active it, in dawn and at twilight. Oh yeah, anyway, yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, that's that's the only time really you go shooting um, is is the hour before dawn um, and the hour before dark, mm. unless you're going out with spotlights and that, you know, because. You know, Big, bigger animals sort of tend to be nocturnal as well, pigs, kangaroos, all that sort of stuff. By learning your patch and what's going on in your patch, like, for instance, uh, like there's also certain indicator animals like uh, rodents, little mice and th- little mice and rats. Well, everything eats mice and rats. Well, every carnivore does. Poor, you wouldn't be a reincarnated as a mouse for all the tea in China because everything <laughs> wants to eat you. The birds want to eat you. Kookaburras even eat mice. Snakes, cats. You know, native cats, numbats, eagles, pythons, that everything like that eats. So if there's if there's a number of small rodent tracks around, then then that's a really good indicator that there's a lot of game in the area. You know, mm-hmm. so then you you pick up cat tracks, dog tracks, um, snake tracks, and then once you, you you know you've you build up a, a file in your head of what's in your area, so that when there's something that you're not used to that tends to jump out. And that's with, with Yowies. Although they do their best to hide their tracks, they're really, I think they're not used to people acti- actively looking for their sign. So I think they know that white people are generally pretty dense and in, com- compared, compared to like the Kuris, how they, you know, I mean, the Kuris used to hunt them for, well, for two reasons, to get them out of their territory and because they were at risk of stealing their children and and, and they were in competition for the game in the area. So, in fact, there's there's a, a few uh, examples in Tony Healy and Paul Cropper's first book of Europeans witnessing some Aboriginals killing a Yowie. I think there's two 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 instances of that um, with spears and nulla nullas. You know, like so they do, they were just using spears and nulla nullas. They weren't using firearms at all. And perfectly, you know, they're a flesh and blood animal, so they're killable, of yeah. course. But you know, that's, the Aboriginals could could track them, and they, they they break branches a lot. They make things. They do that sort of stuff. But as far as footprints go, I've only ever found well, I've found some great footprints, but only one foot at a time, which is I've never found a trackway. You know, a proper good trackway. Right. In the well, I have on the sand anyway, but in the bush, this penny dropped for me last year. So as recently as that, and I've been doing this for thirty years. I was I was in a really great spot that the American. I'll use the American word squatchy. It's I love that word. It's really good. Right? <laughs> it's it was a, good a word, it was it? a squatch. It was a squatchy spot. <laughs> <laughs> it was like. There was a, there was I knew there was a lot of uh, dual activity in, in the area. I, I just I could see it. I knew that I'd heard them there before, and I went back this morning, and I was walking down this beautiful sandy track. It was like a fire trail, and it was all sand, so every little mark stuck out on it. It was great. There was you know a snake went past, a lizard there, a bird there, and I thought if there's a yowie track on this on here, it's going to really jump out. 
and, and like I said, it was early in the morning too. The sun was slanting low through the trees, so I was getting really good shadow and, and light relief from it. Um, and I, I just wasn't seeing anything. And then as I'm walking along, I'm looking to the verges, and in the verges, I, I was starting to pick up really obviously bent bracken stems. And I'm like, oh, geez, that's a good, that's a fresh break. Some of them was like still weeping, you know, there was still sap coming out of them. And I picked up another one and then another one. I'm like, oh, something big has come along down here. And then as I kept following it, finally I got where he'd crossed the road. And what what they what they do, and I've proved this since, that they, they won't walk on a track. Every every animal uses trackways because it's the easiest path through the bush. Even, even you know, rodents and, and kangaroos, they all do that because it's the easiest way between two points. They'll only go fully through the bush if they're being chased, right, or they're chasing something else. So they will hit through the, even really hard spots and under logs if they're being chased. But normally they will take, they will use a road or a trackway, but a yowie knows better. He will walk beside the track, and that's what they're doing. So once I... Once I pegged that, I could see where they were coming down, coming down out of the bush, walking along in the long grass beside the road, and then picking a spot that was hard where there was rocks before he crossed the road. One foot in the middle of the of the road, and then one foot on the verge. That's what they did. That's why I'm always only ever finding one print on the road. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Like, that is so smart. It's just <laughs> scary smart. It's scary smart. Yeah. You know. It really is honestly scary that that kind of, we, they are way outdo us in IQ, I think, and and you know they're the masters of their domain, and they're doing that so that we're going to a normal person, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Joe, uh, Joe Smith, walk down that track and they wouldn't even see that, but you know because I'm looking for these little tiny little signs, when they all come together, it's like a book just opens up and you go, wow. Look at that. He's walked down here from the booth. He come, he's crossed the road there, gone down there, come back and walked along the side of the road again. There was quite a number of trench in the bush on the side of the road, probably about a foot or two feet from the actual verge of the road. So, And then I'm picking them. And I, when I went out with a colleague the other day, we found a beautiful print in a drainage ditch on the side of the road. Oh, cool. You know? Yeah. So that's now we don't we don't even bother looking in the track in the middle of the track anymore. Don't even bother just stick to the side. We take one he takes one side of the track and I'll take the other. Tell me about that that track. how big was it? Oh it we it was funny. Uh, it was actually it was it was pretty almost pure luck. He was showing me around uh, I'll call him Bob. I won't say his real name. Uh, this is a, a, a bloke that I've he actually got in touch with me via one of my interviews with, um, I think it was uh, Brenton Soren or Dixie Crypto guy from America. I mentioned in that that I live in the Shoal Haven and he picked up on that because he does and so he got in touch with me. We have a, a common, you know, um, uh, interest in, in all things crypto. So, yeah, he, he lives uh, probably about 45 minutes south um, at the base of the ranges there and... and um, his his father, uh, his grandfather was full blood uh, Darug Aboriginal, so he does a lot of on country on country stuff, and he knows a great deal. And he's also in the navy, so that's the other thing. He his father works as a 
vermin shooter for the National Parks and Wildlife. What a cool job. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he's been doing that all his life. And so he, he, as far as trackers go, like this guy's father is, that's his life. You're tracking and shooting feral animals. And he um, also brought with him into our little enclave a massive bank of technology. We've got FLIR, we've got infrared, we've got infrared rifle scopes, we've got infrared like monoculars, binoculars, he's got camera traps, plot watches, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff that he's saved up over the years. And so my new colleague has brought all this stuff in and saved me a fortune. Oh, fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant luck. Yeah, him and his younger brother. They've both had a lot of um experience with they call them they only call them dualagal. They never use the word Yowie at all, these guys, um, because they're you know, Kuri. But they bring a lot of stuff and I've got a little bit of Kuri in me, but when they talk about some stuff they won't actually bring me into it because there's no, you're too white, mate. <laughs> you're too white. <laughs> Sorry. That's it's secret business. And I'm like, Yeah, that's cool, that's cool. Perfect, no worries. But yeah, we stopped to look at a property where there was a, a pushed down section of wire fence and even he actually hadn't been to this property before. It was a couple of horses on it and stuff like that. And I just, uh, we were driving slowly down a road and we stopped and I, was, I said, stop here and got out and we looked at this fence. So well, that's interesting. We had a look around. We didn't really see anything worth taking photos of or anything. And then on the way back to the car, I found a stick, a large stick shoved really, really hard into the ground, really obvious stick sign. And right next to that, there was a single footprint and it was in the in the ditch and I'd actually jumped over it when I got <laughs> out of the car. I hadn't seen it. You you went past it and it was already there or do you reckon it was there in the... Oh, no, no. I think it was, I think I, I think it was already there, yeah. Uh, I think I just failed to notice it when I got out of the car because I was too um, focused on this fence. So when I was... You know, ambling back to the car, I've, I've seen this stick, which I missed at first. I went, well, that's an obvious stick sign. And um, and it was right next to it. It was almost as if it planted this stick in the ground and put one foot in the drainage ditch and then walked off. It was um, a great print. Yeah, right. But, um, I wonder what the yeah, significance of that stick is then. Because, you know, you know, obviously Dean Harrison yeah. and his team and, and, and the AYR team have been finding yeah. um, sticks placed in the ground... Yeah, like, I, I know. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm wondering what the significance of that is. They're obviously they obviously have a meaning. Yeah, um, look, the most I ever found was 22 in one one spot. Uh, that was incredible. Um, they ranged in size from little to big. I know the the bigger ones are done by the larger guy, and the smaller ones are done by the kids in in a copying sort of fashion. Mm-hmm. I know they do that. I think if our nose was probably as good as a dog or something like that, that we'd be able to pick up a scent mark on those sticks that they shove in the ground. I don't think they're just a visual sign. I think there's probably a scent on there as well, but we can't smell that. Yeah? Yeah, right. That's Mm. interesting. I'm pretty sure. I think it was – I think there – you know, Jim's been here. There. I I can't just – I can see the stick. I can see and I can smell his scent on it, that sort of thing. I think that's – we just can't pick the sand up. But, yeah. I mean, if, obviously it's going to be on there. Uh, I would love a dog to um, – <laughs> I would love to find a really good stick sign and show it to a dog because um, I haven't done that before. Oh, well, next time I find a really good stick sign, I'll bring it back. I, I always put them back, but 
I'm going to bring them back and give them to my mate's dog and see if my mate's dog will pick up a scent on it. <laughs> that's a good idea. Let me know how you go mm. with that one. That's interesting. That's really yeah, interesting. then I'll have to drive home, uh, a couple of hours back out in the bush and put it back again. <laughs> 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 Try and remember which hole it came from. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to uh, plan a, a, yeah, a flag or, or something. Close fl- something yeah, fluoro. that's it. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of police tape or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, you should be able to find that again then. <laughs> I reckon. Wouldn't yeah. it be amazing so, to um, have a dog's sense of smell wouldn't that yeah. be absolutely amazing oh i know i know um you're you're um when you go out with your big four-legged friends that's it's a kind of a i guess it's a, a double-edged sword in one way they're going to pick up stuff and alert you to stuff that you may not see and on the other side of the knife is that they're going to scare stuff away yeah so i i like the fact that you've got some some backup when you're out there on your own uh, I think that's a really good idea. If you don't have hubby or, you know, someone like that with you, then I'd, I'd be taking the dogs. Yeah, yeah for and sure. That's, that's why I take them. I, I Primarily for that reason. Um, I'm more afraid of meeting an Ivan Millat out there um, than, mm-hmm. <laughs> than, mm-hmm. I am a, than I am a Yowie. Seriously, it's like <laughs> f- f- yeah. meeting some random axe murderer out in the woods. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really – I actually get really annoyed because – a lot of that is being a woman, and we're we're often yep. in fear. Um, yep. So yep. I it frustrates me, but I'm not brave enough to go out by myself. <laughs> no, although no, I think uh, that's not being a chicken. That's just being smart. I think really, yeah. <laughs> even though it ruins smart, any yeah. every, any chance I have of every time I spot something interesting on the ground. One of my dogs. She's a red healer, so she's constantly at my heels, oh, yeah. and yeah. she steps in every single bloody one of the, <laughs> every one of the. I go, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting thing. She walks straight into it. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, what you looking at? What you looking at? Yeah. What you looking at? Exactly. <laughs> that's oh, exactly sorry. what she's doing. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I yeah. Know. So I'm kind of, it's I guess, a... while I'm out there with the dogs, it's it's kind of lighthearted. It's not particularly serious field yeah. research, but it's yeah. fun to. It's fun to learn new things, so that's kind of why yeah. I, I was I've started really looking for tracks and just trying to identify different different tracks. I can mm. identify kangaroos pretty easily, but there are lots of others that yeah. I don't I don't know. You're listening to wildlife photographer and Yowie tracker Bredo on Yowie Central on ninety four point nine Main FM. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, like a, a dog's track has that definite raised X-shaped 
ridge in the middle of the foot and their claws are always visible, right? Whereas a cat, even a big cat, the claws aren't visible and they don't have that raised X-shaped ridge in their pad. They just have a really deep pad print right in the middle like that. Oh. So you never never mistake a dog and a cat. They're very, very, you know. There's so many macropods in Australia. I think what is it, something like 160 different types. So, you, you know, in my area I get everything from really big grey kangaroos, um, eastern greys, to tiny little almost potteroo-sized wallabies, mm-hmm. swamp wallabies, rednecks, you know, all those type of things. And they've all got a very similar track, you know, the big front toenail and the large pad. But they will also put their feet, front feet down in the ground. And, and a kangaroo's front foot looks very much like a dog track because the claws are always out and they've got five claws. So sometimes I'll... Mm, yeah, it, if you see the two together very close, you can often think that it's um, a kangaroo and a dog or a dog chasing a kangaroo, but normally that's the kangaroo's front paws that they're putting on the ground. Oh, I hadn't even so, thought um, of that. That had not occurred to me. That's really interesting. Mm. <laughs> and and, you, and the, the so you can see when they put their front paws, obviously they've got those those claws, so you can see them, those yeah. legs. Ah. That's right. They always stick out, stick out very well because they can't retract those front claws. People don't think that birds leave a lot of marks but they really really do and insofar as finding out what's in your area game wise i mean if there is no game there's probably a couple of reasons one it's been chased out by people or dogs um the other thing is that there's no water there so there's no permanent water there's not going to be very much animal life but birds will drop castings especially things like owls and birds of prey they will use the same tree uh, over and over and over again where they bring stuff to eat. So at the, at the base of a lot of trees, you find little castings. They've usually got fur in them, bones in them, um, and you can tell by what's spattered, the size of what's spattered out by the size of the bird of prey. And if it's a big bird of prey, that's a really good sign that there's going to be a lot of game in the area. Uh, an animal like a, a dulgal or a yowie wouldn't, um, wouldn't bother sticking around if there was no, not enough game. If you if you find if you've got an area that's got permanent water, you've got really good bush cover, and you've got um, plenty of game, then that's exactly what a large predator wants, isn't it? I mean, it's, that's all they, it's all you need. And I was thinking and around so, um, here in this area, so much of the topsoil was removed during the gold rush. Yeah, yeah so, right. so that the 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 ground around me is really very hard rock and clay and not a lot of soil. It is. It is. You know, even when um, I was looking on Google Earth, from the satellite photo, that that area around you is very hard, yeah. dry, gnarly trees that are real survivors. I guess you get a lot of rock as well. Yeah, really. lots. Well, that's that's also good because where you get rocks, you get caves. So um, that's, that's a theory that I don't – I've never really looked into, but – you know, they, they, they say that some of the reasons why they're during the fires and stuff, the Yowies survived so well is because they know all the cave systems. Mm-hmm. And that's what my mate from down south reckons the same thing. He He's really, he's shown me some areas where there's some beautiful caves down here. I had no idea that they were there. And his father has gotten um, him and his brother and me now to help him to try and catalogue some of the Aboriginal artwork that's down there because... 
during the bushfire, the the rocks actually, the faces of the rocks from the heat split and just fell off and a lot of artwork has been lost that way. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, I actually found some, uh, there was this one gully we were in, look, he was looking for some specific pieces of artwork from the local Jeringa down here that apparently depicts uh, uh, some dingoes in a hunt and he's been trying to find this for years and we're getting, he reckons we're getting pretty close to the spot and when I found this big, all these boulders jumbled together, you can see where the area had been burnt last year, but whole pieces of the surface of the rock, probably about some of the pieces were as big as a, a large book, you know, or the, half the size of a coffee table and probably an inch, half an inch thick. And they would just, you could just lift them up off the face of the rock and they would just slide off and clunk, break into the dirt. And it was like, that's probably where. A lot of these paintings were going. Uh, that's how they get destroyed by the sheer heat of those bushfires. They just split the rock and destroy them. Um, when I was living in Inglewood, which isn't that far from you, is it? No, um, no, that's not far at all. Yeah, I lived in. Um, I was on a farm in Inglewood for a while after I left school, and there was Melville Caves up there. Yes, I haven't been there, but um, I have heard of them. Yeah, so there's some great cave systems and stuff, but you know, the rockier the ground, the, the it becomes almost impossible to track unless it's after, straight after rain. First thing in the morning, straight after straight rain. after rain is probably the only time you get it before the sun dries everything out again. You're in a difficult area for tracks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. That's why I was concentrating mm. on areas around dams where the, where the soil there's a little bit of softness there. So Excellent. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's also hundreds of mine shafts in this area. That, well, of course, there would be. Yeah. yeah. So that's always I've always thought that some of those would be excellent hiding places as well. Some of them go very, some of them go very deep uh, into hillsides and well, creepy as mate. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of creepy them as super creepy and there's seriously. no way I'm going down one of those by myself, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, no way. All sorts of scary shit living down there. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's yeah. a big one. I just I actually I went for a walk just an hour ago and uh, I walk oh, yeah. past, there's a big um, old shaft up in the bush here and it sort of goes mm-hmm. horizontal for a while and then it drops. And yeah, uh, I've yeah. always thought that would be a really good place to hide if you were a Yowie because it's mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. it's kind of out of the way. You wouldn't know it if, you wouldn't know it was there yeah. unless you knew about it. And, mm. it's, and it's, yeah, you can actually walk in. Not that I've gone too right. far in there, but. <laughs> Make sure you've got a torch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, no, I'm too afraid of good. them collapsing. I think the Owies know also that the most white people are wusses and that they pretty <laughs> safe hiding down hiding down a big scary hole like that. They go, nah. It would be a really intrepid white fella that's gonna go marching into a cave, you know, like That's right. <laughs> and and also also we don't have the, the fortune that our American cousins have of, of being able to pack all sorts of firearms with us everywhere we go. Well I was when I was um in the States, my friend and uh, publisher Dave Barlow, his father was, um, or is, I should say, um, full-blood Lakota Sioux Indian. Dave himself is works with the, uh, the, can't remember what they call them now. They're like our SES. He's involved mostly with um, looking for missing people. So he did, he's also did two tours, tours of duty in Afghanistan as a medic with the Marines from um, out of St. Louis there. He took me hunting with him uh, just with bows and arrows, um, 
bows and arrows, uh, a, a hunting knife, and he carried um, a sidearm, a, a nine millimeter Beretta, just in case. I remember going through this beautiful broadleaf sort of oak forest with him, and so different to our country, so different. It's just you know phenomenally different. And oh, I heard these, I heard this noise, and what was that? What was that, Dave? And he's just he just looked straight at me, and he's just kind of going shh. And I'm like, oh, it's not going to be anything too bad, is it? And then he's gone, could be a bear. And I just remembered straight, I just, all of a sudden I've gone, oh, shit, there's things that can eat you in this country. <laughs> oh, no, I forgot. <laughs> he Scary. Goes, it could be, it could, but it might just be a black bear. The black bear hasn't killed anyone around here for years, but there's cougars <laughs> I'm worried about. And I'm like, oh, cougars, shit. what? <laughs> Freaking, and I've got this knife, you know, <laughs> a bow, bow and arrow. I said, dude, you've got you've got a safe full of guns back home. Why don't we bring one of the big guys, you know? <laughs> he was um, very, very integral in teaching me um, tracking of a completely different sort, more tracking uh, of scat types and things like that, bird castings and scat, because he can tell from what berries are in the scat, whether it's a bear or what, what's in season. You know, it was all about what, what plants are in season and what plants are here in this area. And if this scat has got some of this in it, well, he knows that that doesn't grow here. So that's had to come from a bear or something from quite a long while away. And if it's that far away and it's looking this close, then it has to be hungry because it's come so far. And if it's hungry, it's more dangerous. And all this stuff that... like. You know, and I'm like, wow, it's, it's, a, it's a book. There's, it's not just looking on the ground at sign. In fact, he said that it's, tracking is only about, visual tracking is only really about 50% uh, of prints. The rest, the other 50% is all the other stuff, the little broken bits of grass that scratches on a tree, the bark that's moved, the stone that's come out of its hole, and it's got mud on one side. So it's obviously been come out of a hole because it's dry on the top and it's wet on the bottom. And all this stuff that that I, I if it comes back to me as soon as I step out in the bush, it all it all comes back, and and it's really great knowledge. Even if you're not actively hunting something, to to walk around and look at all the things that have passed during the night, and all the you know the the interesting story that the ground tells, and the the the, the trees and the grass and the, and the branches, they all tell a story. And yet, some of the stories that they will take you. I followed a a dog chasing a wallaby, and the wallaby was coming coming out of the bush, and it stuck to this road. Well, it wasn't really a road; it was a, an ex fire trail, washed out fire trail. But at, at one stage, after I'd followed them through the bush and back onto the road several times for about four hours, I found the kill spot. I found the kill zone, and you could see where the the kangaroo had fallen and kicked its back legs and there was these big gouges on the, on the ground, big gouges from its toenails. And you could see that something had had it, but it's still fighting. Then you could see where it had actually got out of trouble and run and then got pounced on again. There was, a, there was no blood. It was all kicks and broken rocks and scratch marks and dog marks and then whatever had killed it and picked it up and carried it off. So yeah, no, um, no blood. You know, the whole story was just laid out there in in colour, and it was amazing. I, I, it's one of my, one of the things I actually love doing. It's it's great when you get some sort of pay dirt, but yeah. even just tracking and and honing your skills, it's wonderful. Really, really wonderful. Good fun.
Yeah, it absolutely mm-hmm. is. I might have to um, yeah. do some research on on how to do that. I mean, this, as you said, there's there's so much to learn about that whole concept mm. of of tracking and 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 it's not, yep. not just as you said not just the footprints but the no. all the other details it would be interesting to it'd be interesting i wonder if there's somebody around this local area who is an expert tracker and who might come on the um, show or might teach me something about what how, how what's around here um, so in the in the in the in the old days when as soon as you mentioned uh, you know like the the bane of the bush ranger's existence was a was a good black tracker, but that was because in those days when you know, there was only the first, second generation at the most of of um, colonial-born Australians, and most most people came from you know England or Ireland or Scotland. They had no idea of tracking in the Australian bush. Now, the majority of curries that we come across are, are sedentary and and living in you know modern homes and stuff like that. Those skills are lost in a way and. There are people now, white white fellas now, that have just as many skills as the old black trackers used to have because, you know, because they're trying to keep this, this skill alive. And I think the best thing you can do, and you're lucky where you are, is just pick a, pick a patch, a regular walk, you know, say from somewhere to a waterhole or to a creek or something, and then learn everything you can about that one spot. Keep going back regularly so that you notice little changes that might occur. Because if you just do it once a month, then you're not going to you're not going to pick up on the story. But if you you go out to one spot and you learn what's there, you learn what rodents are there, and what food plants are there, and how many carnivores and how many herbivores you've got, and you learn what feral species are there, where the water is, what plants are blooming when, and what plants can be dug up tubers, roots, stuff like that, wombats do that. And then once you've learned everything you can about that area, that that knowledge, you can transfer that knowledge to anywhere, you know, because now you know what a wombat track looks like and what a goanna track looks like, what a snake looks like and a, and a rat. And, and you can transfer that knowledge to, to pretty much wherever you go. Plus... The beauty is that next time you go into that spot, you will see if something's out of place. It's that whole living room rationale. Mm. You can see if something's changed, you'll you'll notice it's changed. First thing in the morning is the best time. In the afternoons, not not great because even though you've got that low sun slanting, it's going to be dark very yeah. soon. You yeah. don't want that. No. Right? So, <laughs> so yeah. So first thing in the morning, while the dew is still on everything. And the sun's slanting nice and low, giving, giving all the light relief to the prints and marks. At that time of morning, grass and bushes that have been bent over because something was getting chased and it's a, a crush down, then that, that, they are still springing back. So, you know, like a if something's uh, – like a crush downs are great because if, if you're walking through long grass one way and, and you're pushing the grass down with your foot, it's only going to lay one way. Even if you come back the same way, the chances are you're going to be stepping on top of that grass that's already pushed down. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to be lifting it up and pushing it back the other way, uh-huh. right? So, so that's another thing to look for. You, those sort of things will jump out at you. You'll see, oh, there's something's gone running through that grass there last night yeah. because that wasn't pushed down, and it's not pushed down both ways. So it has, it's not a regular run. It's not a fox run or a kangaroo run. It's only gone one way and, and the grass is still springing up. 
you know, you'll notice stuff like that once you are really familiar with your with your spot, and then just sort of expand on expand on your area and take that knowledge with you. Go a little bit further and a little bit further. I guess the only thing you've got to worry about is if one day the dogs just stop there, turn around and run home. Um, <laughs> that would, that, that'll be my cue to turn around and run home too. <laughs> that would be, that. yeah, that would be a really freaky day and I know that, that there's lots of stories of that happening, you know. I, yeah, I would actually hope, I, I, I'm hoping that I would be brave enough with all the, the doula girl knowledge that I have in my head, I'm hoping that I would be brave enough to stop and look first mm. but when that panic that fear response the, the flight response yep. overrides with know, a bit of luck he'll give you a warning they usually do mate they usually do they will usually the one up in in uh mount warning just that was just a plain straight out raw horrible raw guttural mm. raw there was no way you could Misinterpret that. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> that was a definitely get the fuck yeah, out of my yeah. neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out well, of my lounge was, room. <laughs> or I will eat you. Yeah, you know, that's what it sounded like. It sounded yeah. just like that. But you know, like other times, pebbles and rocks getting thrown at, at you, sticks and stuff. That happens to me quite a lot. And right. if you're out there with your dogs, and there is one in the area, or one or more in the area, well, they, they already know you. They don't think they don't because they've already seen you. They know you're there. They know your dogs. They know how you smell. They know your scent, what sort of shampoo you use. You know, like they're, they're right on top of it. They can tell that you're not armed and you don't even have a spear or, or, or anything. So they're not, you're not a threat. So there's no reason why they can't just leave you be and you leave them be. It's, it's if you're doing something that they don't particularly like and they know that you're actively seeking for them, then that's probably when you might get a warning noise, a stone or something thrown at you. Yeah. That's the difference. There's the just walking through the bush and enjoying the ambiance and looking at the speckled wren, or there's, <laughs> or there's walking through the bush, stopping all the time and looking at tracks. And if there's a yowie watching you from afar and he sees you're doing that, he's sus straight away. Because that's what the Kuris used to do when they hunted them. They know that you're hunting something, right? And it could be them. They're not going to. They're not going to if and but about it. They'll either get out of there or they'll move you out of there. Dean Harrison was yeah. saying um, initially you might get pebbles and small rocks thrown at you, yeah. but that yeah. if you're not paying attention and not leaving, which is what those those small. Mm-hmm. Uh, communication stones are for, yes. then they'll yes. start getting bigger and more accurate and actually try and hit you with them. He know. He does the stuff that I wouldn't would never do, and that's the that's the nocturnal stuff. I don't go out bush at night. If I'm, I mean, if I'm camping, I'm already there. But you won't get me wandering off into the bush with a fleur. I, <laughs> I, I no. Nah, look, I, that's a whole different step. That is. That is. That is the you know difference between I don't his, that's the scientific we have to do this approach. That's not just an amateur like me. Yeah. I'm, I've got my, I've got my my health in, in too much in interest. You know, he he him and and his team that will do stuff like that. That's a whole different ball game, I reckon. There's people in the states that do that. 
but they're packing five. They, they've got a 45 on their hip, you know, <laughs> yes. but they're carrying a bloody armor light machine gun. That's cool. That's, I don't, you know, I'd, I'd go out at night with a spotlight if I was armed with a machine gun too, <laughs> you know, but I'm not, you know, and my knife, although it's good, you're going to have to get too close to me for me to use it, right? <laughs> Way too close, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm hearing you. Oh, so let's, yeah. Uh, he, but he's right. Um, I think I sometimes think when that big guy roared at my friend and and myself, I'm, I'm wondering how many subtle signs we missed on the way up the mountain because we were just too busy talking to each other. You know, like there was two very loud branch breaks before it roared, and they were quite quite close together. It was a very loud branch break, which we sort of palmed off as being a branch falling off a tree, and then we kept walking. And then the second one was very, very loud. And, and then that one we went, oh, geez, that was strange. And then it roared straight after that, like seconds after that. I'm, I'm wondering, like, how, how long had it been watching us and how long had it been surreptitiously trying to shoo us out of there by throwing things and we just thought that there were berries falling off trees or, you know. Yeah, dog, a, a dog's a great thing to have with you, really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. It yeah, might, look, might ruin well, any chance yeah, I've got I mean, of, you... <laughs> of seeing one. But <laughs> oh, gee, I, yeah, I don't know because I've, I've, I've read and seen plenty of examples of, in the States where, where hunters with dogs have, have come across um, uh, Sasquatch. Yeah. You know? Yeah, true. Sometimes the um, – most of the times the dog doesn't get out of it very well. No, that's and that's that's another big part of my not taking it yeah, I'm 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 quite mm. I'm quite frightened for my for my dogs if I run into mm. one of them out there as well because I have heard horror stories like that. They would, you know, and of course they would lay down their lives for you. That you know that's that's a given. I think, especially with dogs like red catalogs and that, they would they are glad, they gladly die for their owners. Yeah. I mean, that's they they would you know. But I wouldn't want but that I guess to happen. If this, <laughs> No, of course not. If no. they smell something though, which you obviously can't smell because you, you you know don't have the nose of a dog, then that could be also a, a real bonus. I mean, if they're really really keen on a scent, I mean, do they chase kangaroos and stuff? Your your dogs? Do they? They yeah, they do. I, I, they do. Yeah. I'm my big guy. His recall is excellent. So mm. he'll go. He'll he'll start, but he comes back immediately. The yeah, little, the little yeah, chocolate good. Staffy isn't quite as good at that because I didn't have her from when she was a puppy, so her recall's yeah, not too bad. Yeah. But, but if if she's really onto it, then she's off. And, yeah. I, and a couple of times, maybe three times in the past, how many years have I had her? Maybe three, four years. She has disappeared and and turned up at home. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Jim. Really? Yeah, my partner was out on the out on the front porch having coffee and I'd taken the, the dogs for a walk and then he rang me going, well, are you okay? What's, what's happened? And I said, oh, I'm really pissed off because yeah. I've been spent, I spent the last 20 minutes looking for Jaffa. And he said, well, she's here at home. And he, he got really frightened because he thought something had happened to me. Maybe she's got a, a, a bow down the street or something. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Might, have, might Maybe. have a boyfriend nearby that you don't know about. Oh, she'd go off with anybody, really. She's such a friendly, she's a staffy. Like they, they just love people. I'd be worried about losing them to ferals. That's that would be my concern. Feral, feral dogs, because the, one of my the guys in my team, a new bloke called Mick, uh, he lives out in the bush, and he's got uh, two big dogs, so like pig dogs, and he lost one of them 
disappeared for ages and ages, and he knew that there was a feral dog pack going through the area. Actually, I knew it was there too because I'd seen them. He lost the dog and thought, well, there's only two things that are going to happen. It's going to either challenge or it'll be put down. You know, the, the, the dogs will either welcome it to the, to the pack or they'll kill it. And the dog showed up about six months later. Oh, wow. That's fine. Bunch of pups with it. It turns <laughs> out that, um, it, yeah, it turns out, it turns out it had gone fallen in love with some feral bitch. <laughs> <laughs> to use the exact word. Exactly, no, yeah. Use it, right? But, um, and then, uh, you know, got her in the family way and thought he should stick around for a while and help her feed the pups and then came back home <laughs> to introduce the wife and kids to, um, to dad. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and the dog's still there. It's, it stayed. They must have. They must have got a divorce or something. and worked out something. But the, the dog stayed there, and the missus and the kids buggered off. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Oh, that's and, and you would have feral dogs in your part of the world. You definitely would have them there because, um, yeah, you uh, you just would. Dogs can live in some of the gnarliest, driest, crappiest territory. Same with cats. I mean, you, you get them in the desert, don't you? Just like yeah. they're, they're just so. Such good survivors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say you probably would have dogs there. I mean, we get reports of sheep attacks and things like that. We've just in the local yeah. paper recently. Some poor guy lost a whole lot yeah. of his sheep not too far away from me, and that was that was dogs. So uh, I'm sure they're around. Yeah. My little my little yeah, Steffi's pretty fierce. I don't know if I'd want to take her on, but um, <laughs> he'd be a brave dog to take her on. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the only time. Um, uh, the domestic dog uh, gets into trouble for dogs is when um, there's a challenge, a male-to-male challenge. Because yeah. um, most of the time they they get assimilated into the packs pretty quickly. Um, I mean, that's how the packs develop anyway, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah I guess so. That's how they started, from domestic dogs going bush. And, and that's we have tons of them down here. It's They're always doing 1080 poisonings and that, and they don't work. Uh, I think the dogs are too smart now. They won't take... Whatever they're putting the plan in, they just won't take it. Did you want to talk about mm-hmm. your team and what you guys have been up to? Or Like I said, um, I can't really say – I'll call him Bob, the first guy that came to me um, via another report, because he has one of the – I think it's the second highest security clearance for the Australian Navy. And so I won't mention his name. His quarter – Darug Curry, and so is his young brother, and they were brought up in the beautifully named Fisherman's Paradise. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> yeah, I've been coming down here since I was a kid, and I never knew there was a place called Fisherman's Paradise. I know it's there now because <laughs> um, it got smashed by the bushfires, but um, he's, a, he's a really interesting fella. And then there's his younger brother, younger by about three years, who is a Yowie magnet. I thought I was. But um, this kid is, uh, well, when I was a young man, this young man is a uh, magnet, a real magnet for, for Yowies. And um, these two fellas grew up in the bush day or night, you know, traditional hunting methods and rifles as well. And uh, he's got some great stories. I've actually asked uh, if he would like to tell the AYR whether whether or not Dean would be interested in hearing from me. I think he probably would because it's always good to get a, a Aboriginal perspective on these things. I oh, would love um, it, absolutely love it. Yeah, tell yeah, him he, I'm, he, I'm be delighted to, to interview him and, and hear his stories. Yeah, look, I, I've, told, look I've, said, I've said to them because you know, they weren't even familiar with the AYR site. It was basically me that put them onto it. 
um, they've been happily going about their business all their lives, um, completely aware of Dulgar in the area and never even knew about the AYR. But they're a little bit loath to go on there or put anything to print. They, they're just, that's just what they're like. I'll keep working on them. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I would love look, I would love to hear you interview them too. Because I only get I only get little scraps of information. Um, but these guys go on country and stuff. Bob uh, mentioned something to me the other day. He they have in the defence force. I can't think of the acronym now. It's a brilliant acronym. It's like DIG or something like that. It's a it's the defence force Aboriginal community, and they take uh, anyone in the Defence Force, so it's Army, Navy or Air Force that has Aboriginal heritage and they go on country and they do skills, they do life skills, traditional skills. And through this, my mate has met uh, some elders that have completely confirmed what I knew and what he always knew, that this this is one of the hottest areas for, for Yowie activity anywhere in Australia. It's... And the, the fact is it doesn't get as much press as the Blue Mountains or the Gold Coast hinterland because people just haven't been here for as long as those places. There are places in, in the Shoalhaven and the Camborra Ranges down here that no one's ever been to. You know, they're, they're still unsettled, unpopulated. You know, it's like they are hot down here. There is a lot of activity. There's a lot of, there's a lot of yowies down here. And the elders, the Jurinja elders and, and the Darug elders say have, have confirmed this. To, uh, to me and my colleagues, um, they, yes, in fact, they could show, they're not going to show me because I'm too white, but they look like they're going to take Bob out and take him to a place where he knows where they live. He said there's a clan in this particular area. I, I'm not being privy to this information, but he's going to take Bob to this area where he says there's a clan. Oh, cool. And, um, Lucky Bob. That, I'd, I'd yeah, give I my right I, I arm to go along with them. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, uh, I, I really fell on my feet uh, um, with meeting these guys. The other bloke, so there's only the four of us at the moment. Um, the other bloke's name is Mick. Um, Mick has also got some Aboriginal heritage. And the other half is Greek. He calls himself, uh, I hope no one's offended by this. I really do. He calls himself a Wagarigini. That's <laughs> 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 It's, and he says it with pride. He yeah. says it with pride. Um, and it's the first time I've ever heard the term. I fell about when I first heard that. I met him in the local club, actually, when he was talking to a couple of local yokels down at our local club. And I was having a beer on my own, playing a poker machine and listening to the discussion. And he was talking about Dooligal. And, and these guys were poo-pooing this bloke. I'd never met him before. And then he ended up leaving and I heard these guys talking about it, going, yeah, right, you know, I bet he believes in the bloody Loch Ness Monster too and all this shit. And I did say a thing, but a couple of weeks later I ran into him again and I said to him, I hope you don't mind me saying, mate, introduce myself and whatnot. And I said, um, but I was over hearing your conversation the other day and you mentioned something about Dooligar. And his sort of eyebrows shot up and, and I, I said, yeah, look, I'm, I'm – uh, if I was involved in that conversation, I would have had your back, mate. I would have backed you up because I know they're around here. And he goes, so do I, mate, and I live in the bush. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, he is probably more likely to talk to the AYR because there was a report of a guy in a tent not long ago. I think you probably did the interview, Sarah. He was in a tent and he had a doula guy outside the tent. Yes. He was a homeless guy. You know the homeless guy yeah. one? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, I'm, yep. Well, mix, mix encounter... 
he is a caretaker for a 600-acre block uh, not far out of town, uh, which I've been to. He lives in a caravan with an annex. He's two dogs, a lazy cat, and a couple of horses. <laughs> and he's a really nice bloke. He's happy to, just to be out there. He, When he got his first dog, and it was just a pup, he was camping one night up the river, and it was um, real yowie weather. It, was, it, it started raining. It was windy. He just said it was just a big fella. He said it was so big. And, and his pup was whining and crying, and he was trying to keep this dog quiet, but it was shivering and shaking and, and whining and wet itself right right on his sleeping bag and was, like, cuddling him. The dog was cuddling him and crying, and he said it, this thing came out of the bush and was standing outside his tent, touching the tent, and then it would walk around and touch the other side and come back. And he said it, was, <laughs> it kept coming back all night. He oh, said, no. Just, wouldn't go away and then when he told some of the elders in the area they said yeah yeah that's shit. where were you bloody hell mate <laughs> that's, yeah that's a big big fellas out that way mate there's some big fellas out that way you know we don't bloody go out there yeah, what are you right. doing out there? <laughs> um he's probably he would probably be keen to talk to um talk to you i that'd think be great. Yeah. i'd love to talk to him yeah. that'd be fantastic yeah i um He's just come out of hospital. He uh, broke his collarbone, come off his horse and broke his collarbone. He's, he's just come out. I'll wait until, until he gets a bit back on his feet and then I'll go and see him and I'll ask him. But he's, uh, he's right off the grid, you know. He's, he comes into town and um, buys some beers and food and, and then he's, he's back out there for the rest of the month. Oh, but that's he's, my uh, dream. He, that's my dream. <laughs> I'd love to yeah, be really I, just out in the middle of the bush. Yeah. <laughs> Mine too, mate. Yeah, no, he's living the life. He, he's um, but he's he was a good score as well. So there's the four of us, and we've all had our own experiences. So it's not as if th- these people are just interested in the subject and are keen to um, bringing bring it out of the shadows, as it were. Um, these guys have all known about it before we knew each other. So that's really, really good. That is awesome. I'm so I'm so happy for you because I know when I spoke to you when I first spoke to you maybe a year ago, yeah. you were kind of on, on your lonesome and there weren't many people you could go out researching with or even talk about this subject. Well, there was nobody. Yeah. Basically, I've been, you know, I was doing it on me Pat Malone for so long and, and you know, and seeing seeing the AYR and, and guys like guys like Gary Lynn and, and, and I'm thinking, geez, I wish I had a couple of Gary Lynns, you know, and, <laughs> and, um, you know, or, or you know, any, any one of those guys, Buck, you know, and, and I sort of, so I put it out there and then sure enough, I, I really landed on my feet and, yeah, it's very, fo- and not only that, uh, we've got a great acronym, Skyra. I mean, we're not, we don't have a, um, what's the word, a social media presence. We, we, okay. I'm not doing, we've discussed this and we're not going to do the YouTube thing and we're not going to, the, like, we, we call ourselves Skyra, which is a South Coast Yowie Research Association and because it sounds great. Yep. It sounds like some some kid's name, Skyra, come here, darling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it's, 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 that's just so that we know who, what we're talking about yeah. when we talk about it. But well, we're kind of fly, flying under the radar. Uh, if we get anything significant, we're going to share it with the AYR. Oh, um, please do. That would be amazing. And, yeah. And, and then, you know, just so that, just so that Dean and, and his crew know that this, there's a part of the world that's covered that they can't cover. And maybe one day, if I would love it, if, something that was significant enough for for Dean and the team to warrant coming down here. That'd and, be great. Um, you That'd know? Be, yeah. Because I could I could show them some stuff that would um that would sure to be sure to impress. 
You'd have yeah, to do it in summer because he hates the cold. <laughs> I can't talk oh, him really? into coming down to Victoria at all. <laughs> oh, it's getting a bit nippy here now, I tell you. It really is, eh? It's yeah. not even winter yet. It's oh, no, it's freezing day. down here. Yeah, long socks and trackies on this morning. Yeah, I had leg warmers when I went roller skating the other day. <laughs> <laughs> leg warmers? Yeah, oh, my, my mum knitted them. They're gorgeous. <laughs> oh, I just saw, I just had a picture of Olivia Newton-John yes, singing physical. Totally, <laughs> <laughs> but without the leotard. <laughs> yeah, leg warmers. God love you. Yeah. Well, Bredo, thank you so cool. much for talking to me. I'm, I'm going to have to wrap it up now. but I, Yes, mate. I really enjoyed our chat. Me too, as always. It's um, lovely talking to you. Yeah, lovely talking to you too. And okay. you take care out there. Um, keep your little eyes peeled. Yes, I will. And thank you so much for the tips. I'm, I'm going to be working on my on my tracking. <laughs> Wildlife photographer and Yowie tracker, Bredo. If you've had an encounter with a Yowie or you've seen a ghost or you've had a scary UFO experience or any other weird stuff, get in touch with me via yowiecentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group. We've run out of time for this week, folks. Yowie Central will be back next week. Same time, same place, on 94.9 Main FM. I'll catch you next week. Stay safe. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. of your diamond ring your fancy jacket won't be worth a dime when you're sucking the blood right out of your spine
it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 